Welcome to the Coog Center Podcast, and here's your host... <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Merry Christmas. Get the cool boy in the hammer, Ralphie. Come on. Fragile. It must be Italian. Well, I think that's just fragile, honey. Oh, yeah. Michael Preston. That is the GOAT Christmas movie. I will not hear any different ever. And I'll have you know, as I'm sure I've said before, that's like the one thing I get to claim to be a hipster over is a Christmas story. And it, it wasn't even really me discovering it. It was a friend of mine when I was like seven or eight years old when we were having like a sleepover one night and my parents took us to, and this is going to blow some of you younger kids' minds, a video rental store. We went to a little store in Woodenville and they happened to have a Christmas story on the shelves and my friend said to my parents we should get this movie, it's really good. And ever since then, it has been a staple in my family every holiday. I haven't watched it yet, I always save it till the couple days right before Christmas uh, and I'm recording this on Thursday the 20th. So uh, if you're listening to it after that, uh, after Christmas, I've already watched it like 19 times in one day. So... Welcome to the Coop Center Hour podcast, our second to last one of the football season. We will do a season recap after the Alamo Bowl, but that is coming up on Friday the 28th, and that is the Cougs' final game of the season, much maligned as we wish it would not have been. Levi Stevenson from Wide Right and Natty Light, the Iowa State blog that covers the Cyclones for SB Nation, will stop by to join us for a good 22-minute chat about his Iowa State Cyclones and their chances in this Alamo Bowl. And uh, the fact that that drive down to San Antonio is a lot easier than the flight down there for most of us uh, as well. I'm always a little sad to get to this part of the season. It is always comes a lot quicker uh, than I usually think it would. Bazinga. Uh, God, why did you say Bazinga? God, that's a horrible TV show. Uh, but it, it always does get here a lot faster than... I would think it did. And from that perspective, it means trips to Pullman are over. It means drinking at my office is over. It means a lot of that stuff's over. I'm glad the spring game's in Pullman in April. And I suppose I could go back for a basketball game. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's the season's over. And that season that was so full of magic and was so full of fun and excitement and everything that went into it uh, is coming to an end. And luckily, to an end against a Big 12 team in an indoor stadium in Texas and not outdoors on grass and whatever else. And things are different. But I guess for me, going into this game, it, it, it is a bit of a prove-it. Washington State's about a field goal favorite over Iowa State, according to Las Vegas. And that sounds about right if we're talking about playing this game on a neutral, you know, on a normal game week on a neutral field, you know, one week to prepare, or, you know, if Wazoo was at home, that sounds, you know, maybe a few points too little. But this game is not that. It is being played a month after either team, although I suppose... Iowa State did play Drake uh, the last week of the season after they had their home opener, they had their opener canceled. Uh, but you're still playing with a better part of a month off for Iowa State and over a month off for Washington State. And as we've seen in the past, that has not gone well for the Cougars under Mike Leach. They do not perform well 
in their bowl games. And again, I, I think it comes down to it's just when it comes to preparing for this, I, all human beings are creatures of habit in some way or another. There's no accepting that you are, whether you think you are or not, a person of habit in one way or another, no matter how minute it may be. But football players, especially those in college, are very much players of or people of habit. They have habits they have every week, lifting, practice, homework, a lot of that stuff goes on at the same time. But then you take like three weeks off and you don't do anything and then you kind of get these practices in without a game at the end of it and it's all a little weird and it's also why bowl games are inherently pretty hard to predict unless you're talking about two you know pretty elite football teams like the national semifinals between Alabama and Oklahoma and Clemson and Notre Dame so it's a little difficult to kind of exactly know what's going to go on in these games and the same thing is the case here Washington State looked absolutely putrid in their last two bowl games. And frankly, in the second half of that Sun Bowl, they didn't play much better either. Miami got back into the game and not for some very timely turnovers on the part of Washington State. Probably would have won the football game. But I suppose you could also say you have to take those turnovers and that's also part of the game. So for me, this game is a bit of a prove it. And I know that this team is different than in years past and practically an entirely new coaching staff. And a quarterback who, you know, last year Tyler Holinsky played in the Holiday Bowl because Luke Falk was dealing with his wrist injury. And the year before that, Luke Falk played in that game and didn't look like himself. And I, I think you're coming into this game again where Gardner Minshew helps you is where he's going to help you in this game. He's helped you all year bring that swagger, bring, you know, just the general attitude of jockstrap and aviators in the locker room to this football team and that can really only help a group of guys who's 18 to 23 years old to be able to look at someone and a guy who's kind of going to shoulder the burden a bit and who's going to shoulder the burden of being the guy and knowing that he's not going to have to deal with weather conditions like he did in that last game against Washington because the Alamo Dome is well it's a dome it is indoors, and so that is perfect air rating weather. Iowa State did a number on West Virginia this year. They held Texas Tech to a few points. But again, this is Washington State. You have weeks to prepare for both of these teams. And there's no reason to think that Mike Leach can't think of something and some way to score some points against Iowa State. I think what this game looks like to me is a lot like the Cal and Utah games. Iowa State's defense is about as good as Utah's. Cal is certainly better than either of those defenses. But Iowa State's offense is decent. They have a good quarterback. They have a great number one receiver. And they have a good running back. But it's not anything that's ever going to blow you away. They're not going to run the score up on you by any means they are going to grind out some points. So for me, it reminds me of Cal and Utah in the way that pretty good defense, so-so to average offense. And what we've seen what Washington State can do against teams like that in the regular season, beating Utah and Cal by a combined 10 points, I'll grant you, and Utah on that long pass play to Aesop Winston from Gardner Minshew, 
But Washington State has beaten two teams like this already this year. They've already beaten a couple of teams that look an awful lot like the Iowa State Cyclones. So again, if we're talking about with a week to prepare on a regular or neutral field, you probably would have to lean towards Washington State in this game. But again, you can't do that. And I think the other thing too is for Iowa State, you want to find you know a more maligned football program in their history than Wazoo. It's hard to find, frankly, anywhere in the country in Division One. If we're just being frank about it, it is. But Iowa State is one of those programs. They historically have been absolutely terrible. And the Alamo Bowl is the best bowl they have ever been to, ever. So their fans are going to be amped. Their players are going to be amped. Their coach, Matt Campbell, certainly going to be amped. He got some extra money for his assistance recently. So they're going to have every reason to be hyped up. Now, to be sure, the Alamo Bowl is the best bowl Washington State's been to since the Rose Bowl in 2003. But you hope there's been enough time to get over the hangover of not being in a New Year's Six game, of not being close to the college football playoff like you wanted to be if you're Washington State. Certainly in the New Year's Six, which you deserve to be in at 10-2. and two. So you're hoping that four, you know, three to four weeks is enough time for everybody, players, coaches, staff, hell, even fans, to get over that hangover. Because, and we talked about this before, it's, it, you know, expectations change throughout a season. Things are different at the beginning of the season, at the end of the season. My expectations of this team were very different Labor Day weekend to Thanksgiving weekend. So it is possible to be both angry about not getting into a New Year's Six game, but also thrilled with going to the Alamo Bowl. Because yes, before the season, I never would have, you know, I certainly never would have expected to be in the Alamo Bowl. So from that standpoint, this has been a very successful season. One of just a handful of 10-win seasons in school history. And a chance on Friday to set a record for the most wins in a season for Washington State at 11. There's still plenty to play for here. There are plenty of things you can get excited about if you're a Washington State fan, if you're a Washington State player, a coach, whatever. There's still plenty to do here. There's a top 25 team on the other sideline to beat. That if you can win that football game by virtue of the fact that a few New Year's Six teams are going to lose, they have to lose, you could conceivably end the year in the top 10. Which, I, I, it, it's been a while since Wazoo did that. It's been, it's been a hot minute since that happened. So, from that standpoint, it could be you. You could talk about with a win, it being a podium finish for greatest season in Washington State football history. It could go up on that pantheon among those greats. So there is still plenty at stake in San Antonio at the end of the month. But I also get the disappointment everybody has because I'm, st- I'm still angry about it. I'm still unhappy with how Washington State was treated by the CFP. It sucks. It's not fun. And we thought we were going to see West Virginia in the, in the Alamo Bowl. And now we're seeing Iowa State, a team that beat West Virginia. 
I would have loved to have seen the scoreboard just get broken by the Mountaineers and the Cougars. That likely is not going to be the case with Iowa State. But, again, there is still a lot of cool stuff that can happen with a win here. And it will be very exciting to me to see that go on. Or as a possibility of happening. I just would really prefer the whole not falling flat on the face thing again. That would be, I would appreciate that. Levi Stevenson from Wide Right and Natty Light coming up next. After that, we're going to talk about kind of the, you know, this is kind of the time of year a lot of players transfer and all that other stuff and National Signing Day, the early signing day. We're going to dive into something about that uh, after that and then the Dunderhead of the Week and ask Michael anything on this penultimate Cook Center Hour of the football season coming up. Here on the Coog Center Hour, again, finally bowl week. Well, kind of bowl week if you're listening to this this week when I'm recording this and not Christmas week, then it's a week away. But this time of year is weird and football is weird at this time of year. And I feel like I'm talking to my brother right now in terms of schools we went to and things we experienced in college. Levi Stevenson from Wide Right and Natty Light, the Iowa State blog, our sister blog that covers the Cyclones ahead of the Alamo Bowl. He's drinking a Natty Light right now. He drank a Bush Light oh. earlier. You're just, this is, see this, yeah, there you go, see? Now, Natty Light's drank at UW here, but we'll forgive that because y'all are some of the biggest Bush Light fans in the world too, and I know that was a source of consternation, but you guys love Bush Light an awful lot names, don't you? We, we do, we do. We are a big, big fan of Bush Light because if you, I mean, every bar has it on tap. They have it in bottles and cans and everything like that, and I think... I mean, pretty much the standard like tailgating gear. You get do whatever you got, and then you get a thirty rack bush light. You take that with you. <laughs> Actually, yes. we, we were down. At, we were done in Memphis last year at the Liberty Bowl, uh-huh. and so down there, they had, they got a whiff that we drink bush light. Yeah. At first, well, the first is like, what the hell are you talking about? And then we tell them, okay, we we, we drink bush light. Just uh-huh. FYI, you should have that. Uh, one bar carried it. Um, they ordered a bunch of, they thought they ordered what they thought was a lot. Yeah. Um, turns out ran out of bush light at three o'clock the day before the game. <laughs> yeah, perfect. No, we did that in Auburn a few years ago. We drank them out of beer too. So I just, apparently people yeah. in Alabama have no idea how much alcohol like, I don't, we consume. It's like, I, we told you to get bush light. Yeah. And this like, is on you for not taking us serious. It's like locusts sure with beer drinking. Yeah. Yeah, right. exactly. It's like a plague of beer drinking. Uh, Matt Campbell, uh, in his third year at Iowa State, Levi, 8-4 uh, and four as they went through the regular season. Three losses in their first four games uh, after that cancellation against South Dakota State. Closed it out with seven out of eight. 
wins. How does the Iowa State fan base feel right now with the way they closed out that season? Because the only loss was to a pretty good Texas team uh, and featured a win over the West Virginia Mountaineers uh, as well in there. Uh, feel pretty good. I mean, the the, the Drake debacle kind of put a little bit of a damper just on the just the general mood at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, as an overall, though, we couldn't be happier. I mean, right. you got you got to put it in context of where we were. Uh, you know, a few years ago, we won three games, two games, and then three games. Mm-hmm. And uh, Iowa State football. I mean, Iowa State football is the fifth losingest program of all time. I mean, it's right. never been good. Um, and it was it was it was bad just a few years ago. Right. Um, so the fact that we're you know we won we went eight and five last year and now we're eight and four going into the bowl game mm-hmm. with an opportunity to win our ninth and tie the school record for wins, which is sad because our school record is nine wins. Um, Ours is ten. Don't worry about it. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> so I feel less bad, but um, I still feel bad though. Yeah. Um, so I mean, couldn't be happier. We got stud running back, stud receiver. Stud quarterback, mm-hmm. really good defense. Can't not too much to complain about in a court in a in a coach that, despite being wanted by apparently every single football playing organization on on planet Earth, has basically told everybody to f off. Yeah, so, I was about to ask about that because yeah, everybody's got to everybody's got to love the extra money that got thrown at Matt Campbell, right? It was a few extra million bucks for his assistance, and it seems at least. Uh, for now, I mean, we dealt with this last year with Mike Leach. Uh, he was pretty close to signing on the dotted line with Tennessee, uh, and it took the AD getting fired for that to not happen. So for now, at least, it looks like Matt Campbell is pretty happy where he is in Ames. Yeah, so basically, to give you a look at just a general timeline for people that aren't familiar with it. So last year, Tennessee, before Mike Leach, Mike, Matt Campbell was the first guy that they were going to try right. to talk to. And as the as the legend goes anyways they basically called the iowa state football offices and the matt campbell told his secretary to not transfer the call essentially <laughs> um uh, matt campbell doesn't have an agent so he, he negotiates his own contracts he yeah. did he negotiated his first contract with iowa state jamie like that got that that contract got the very first one got negotiated in matt campbell's living room like mm-hmm. jay pollard flew to toledo and they negotiated the contract in his living room um that last offseason, they gave him an extension to 2023, uh, gave him a couple extra million dollars to get up to three and a half million, mm-hmm. um, which is still not like top half of the Big 12, but it's pretty good money, especially compared to what he was making at Toledo. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he got a million dollars extra to to give to his assistants last year. And uh, then this offseason, uh, keep in mind that, again, that he doesn't have an agent. He negotiates these things all himself. Um, he got another million dollars and a year extension on his contract, got a million dollars for his assistance, yeah. uh, but did not get, but did not negotiate for himself a pay raise. Uh, he could have gotten it. If he wanted $5 million, I'm pretty sure he could have gotten it. Yeah, go it figure. I would have. What, are you kidding me? <laughs> but what that, well, what that tells you, though, is that he doesn't care about the money like the, like he's a, he's the kind of like he's the kind of guy that we all think we would be like where you think well i got three and a half million what do i need five million for mm-hmm. but we, in reality all of us would be like yeah i want five million yeah um i think for, matt campbell appears to be the guy we all think we say we would be when we're mm-hmm. in that position he appears to be that guy actually like he's actually true to his word that he the money isn't a thing for him he doesn't care um He's he's in he's at Iowa State to build Iowa State into a championship contender. Mm-hmm. That's what he says. He said it from day one. And he's I mean, like he said, uh, I mean, basically he took himself out of the running for the Cleveland Browns job and for the an Ohio State job. We had to sweat it out there for about thirty seconds while we were reading the tweet that Ryan Day got hired there. But I mean, 
if it makes you it makes you feel if it makes you feel any better, I also took myself out of the running for the Browns job, so it's not like you know it's not, that's, <laughs> that's not a good job, that's though, yeah I know yeah. well you know I, I just I so, didn't want to move and I didn't really want to work for yeah, the Haslam you know, so you know there's that that's fair that's, yeah that's fair I thought so too it's a good, it's a good, it's a good job anymore though yeah and, you know, yeah yeah get me a little uh, give me a little Baker Mayfield yeah no I know it's not too bad that's a good dude to coach I, mean, <laughs> I would not I mean, complain. No. Now, of all people, they like of all NFL quarterbacks that you could have an opportunity to coach when you're when you're a young coach. Baker Mayfield would be pretty high. Yeah, up he'd be on a good list. one. Yeah, exactly. He's a he's a good he's a good dude too. He's I mean obviously he's ultra talented and all that. And he's a uh, really hard worker. But he's just a good guy. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'd be really easy to work with. Talk um, about the quarterback. So you have all that, and then uh, now actually they're the the regents have actually already approved it, but now he. Uh, Basically, this is all Matt Campbell's request. He got he got an eighty nine million dollar sports performance center that's going to be yeah. going up. Um, it's a big, huge football facility. It's got they'll they'll redo kind of the north side of Jack Trice for a new plaza for all the uh, for Cyclone fans out there with like the concession stands, gift shops, and stuff like that around. But then this huge they're calling it a sports performance center. It's new weight rooms, new locker rooms, a big uh, big nutrition center where basically the athletes just show up, they get fed, and they leave. Yeah, you know, it's. Yeah, I mean it's it's top of the line stuff. So instead of getting himself a million dollars, you know, getting a million million and a half extra on his salary, he got a ninety million dollars sports performance center out of it. And I think that's I think that means significantly more to him. Yeah, than, exactly. Yeah, uh, than check. We would uh, normally talk about the offense first uh, in these podcasts. In my chosen format, I like to go offense defense first. But Iowa State's defense. Uh, I think Levi is the more talented unit on this football team. Uh, currently ranked 31st in S&P Plus. Uh, and just looking up and down at their counting stats uh, in the Big 12, clearly one of the top defenses in the Big 12, if not the best one. They're near the top in sacks. They're near the top in rushing defense, in total defense, uh, in pass defense. Uh, so really, And in their tops in scoring defense. So really, what I'm saying is, they have a good defense, and that has been the key for them. And we talked earlier; they 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 kind of run a weird three two five or three two six. Do they not with a kind of you were describing yeah, like it, two and three quarter yeah, so safeties? If you're if you're if you're a Madden fan, it's the three two six dollar. Yeah, they run a lot of that. Um, they run they run some they run kind of going between like a nickel and a dollar, and then they they'll drop. You know they'll they'll sometimes they'll bring they'll bring a safety like that. They've They've been blitzing more this year, and it was—it's been really successful when they actually do it. And I mean, that was part of the reason that Will Greer got his face kicked in uh, was because they started bringing weird pressure off the edge. Because they'll—they have three down linemen, and all—and they—they basically run two sets of three linemen. Um, the two DNs, especially in uh, on the D line, they're—they're they're more than capable of getting some pressure on their own with just three people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I mean. A lot of those sacks have come with you know just rushing three. Um, Baylor, I remember actually Baylor's account tweet. He's like, "Are you serious? They get pressure with three people." Yeah, they were really frustrated. It was, it was funny. Um, they can get pressure with three people, uh, and they, and a lot of times they're running the run defense is built around a three a three man front. They're not they're not going to a, th- a four man front to stop the run. Uh, so it's a really versatile defense too. So you don't mm-hmm. have to get out of your base defense. You know, depending on the play, you can sit in your base defense and then just make adjustments from there. Right. Um, but yeah, like I said, they'll they'll start with like kind of a three two six. Sometimes they'll kind of morph into a three-three-five based on personnel. Um, just kind of, it, it, but it's, it all starts out of the three down linemen set, and that gives them a lot of flexibility as far as defensive backs and linebackers mm-hmm. to kind of bring uh, weird pressures off the edge, uh, change up coverage, things like that. 
if you had to point out one or two guys on the defense, because I think obviously, you know, Wazoo fans are not going to be, you know, totally familiar uh, with right. Iowa State. I don't think any of us watch a lot of Iowa State Fair. football this year and vice versa as well. If you had to point out one person on the defense for Kook fans to keep an eye on uh, in this Alamo Bowl, who would it be? One person. Um, that's a tough one because Iowa State basically because uh, the whole season they've run twenty two. I think there was like there was a, there was a stretch in there where there was like three or four games in a row where twenty twenty three or more people made a tackle. Mm-hmm. So they they they're super deep on defense. Right. Um, but if I was gonna say, I mean, one if it was gonna come down to one guy, I would say probably Jaquan Bailey. He's a defensive end. He's uh, very very close to being the all time sack leader at Iowa State. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like a sack and a half away or something like that. Um, when he is on, he is an absolute force off the edge, and he's really what can make that three-man front a dangerous pass rush unit. Um, and Washington State doesn't give up many sacks. Part of that is because it's, a, you know, it's an offense built around getting the ball out quickly. Right. Um, but you know, if if what they can do, because if, if Iowa State, what they'll probably try to do is they'll 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 bring three to start with. They'll sit people back in coverage to make. Uh, Gardner make a make a decision. He's either got to force it into a tight window, or he's gonna have to pull it down. Um, and if they can delay that, the more they can delay that decision. If Jaquan Bailey is engaged and he is ready to go, he has a chance to have a big game. I think he's where he can he can really be a force off the edge uh, and and take and get Gardner Minshew uncomfortable mm-hmm. and get him out of his comfort zone. I think. Offensively, uh, Iowa State made a quarterback change this year. Went to Brock Purdy, uh, their quarterback, who at the beginning of the year, Zeb Noland, is now off to North Dakota State. And it just numbers-wise, Brock Purdy's had a pretty good year, completing two-thirds of his passes, over 10 yards an attempt. So this, Levi, is an offense that, at least passing-wise, is going to move the ball quite a few yards when they do put it through the air, correct? Oh, yeah. And, and they have Hakeem Butler. He's a, he's a 6'6". Uh, receiver, he averaged. I want to say just a shade over twenty-two yards a catch this year, which yep, led the country. Point, yep, twenty-two um, point one. Yeah, yep. Um, he, I mean, he, I think he probably only averages maybe four or five yards, four or five catches a game. But when he does, he he puts the hurting on. Um, does a great job. Uh, his thing this year has actually been. It's happened, I don't know, half a dozen times probably, where he'll go out for a deep route, Brock will chuck it to him, and then there'll be a, like a defensive pass interference or something like that, or he'll or it'll be the defender will be all over him and they won't get called for that. Um, then they'll go right back to him the next play. They'll send him on another deep route, and Brock will throw it to him again, and he'll make and he makes him pay the next play. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's a weird, I don't know, it's a weird karma coming back around. <laughs> uh, like it happened, it's happened like it was like half a dozen times this year. It's the weirdest thing. And that might be part of the game plan too, is just knowing that that corner is clearly frustrated, and he's in these because he's basically just all over Hakeem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you go right back at him because Hakeem's tough to stop, man on man to man, especially two plays in a row. Because uh, it wouldn't surprise me a ton if whenever he does go to the draft, uh, when he goes to the combine, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he broke four or five um, in the forty. And as and as a six six guy, that's that's really hard to guard. Right. Um, he's he's very very good after the catch. If um, watch some of his catches against Oklahoma. Uh, where he's just dragging people. He had a catch against Baylor last year that was one of the most unbelievable catches I've ever seen. Um, very, very good receiver. So they, it's a it's a passing offense that's plenty capable of taking the top off the defense. Um, it's one thing that well, going back to the team, one thing that he does struggle with a little bit is making the routine catches. Sometimes he does have a bad case of the drops uh, when it comes to just the really easy routine catches. When it comes to the way, it, it's a lot like. Um, Oh, what was I trying to think of? There's an NFL receiver, basically. You catch anything that was like five yards away from his body. You make the most incredible catches all right. the time, but just, just couldn't bring in the easy ones. Um, 
but where where the where the passing offense gets really dangerous is when Tariq Milton gets in. He's like five ten. He's he's really quick and he can break he can break uh, runs off pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And then you have Charlie Kohler in the tight end spot. That's I would say I think there was they they completed combined like six passes to tight ends over like a three season span mm-hmm. before this year. It was like it was like nothing. Um, and Charlie Kohler comes in and he's has, he's got like five catches on the year and like four of them are touchdowns, right? Or something like that. So they don't use him a ton, but when he does, you know, they use him in the red zone and they'll use him on bigger plays too. Um, and one of one of his touchdowns came as a, on a run after the catch. It was like a 15 yard run after the catch against West Virginia. Uh, so they'll spread it around. Uh, Brock's not not afraid of getting it around, but he knows he knows who his best receiver is and he gets it to him. And fortunately, that's a big play receiver that gets a lot of yards when he catches it. Yeah. One other guy I want to touch on, uh, Levi, before we get to your prediction for this game, is uh, David Montgomery, the talented running back uh, for Iowa State. He broke 100 yards five times this season, including the last two games, at 145 against Drake and 149 on the ground against Kansas State. Uh, what makes him tick so well that he's picking up, you know, I mean, almost 1,100 yards on the regular season? He'll certainly get there. Uh, in the bowl game uh, against Washington State, probably break his mark last year to so set a career high in rushing. What makes him so good for the Cyclones? The yeah, there's a, there's a few things here. I remember there was a, I'm trying to remember what game it was, but basically they I think it was maybe Texas. They pulled up this graphic on the screen. Basically, they called him the running back Frankenstein, mm-hmm. and they basically. They built they built David Montgomery out of these various players. They said he had like Le'Veon Bell's vision. He had Saquon Barkley's legs. He had all these you know all these different things. They they pieced them together and everybody overreacted, saying, "Oh, he's all he's better than all five of these guys." And it's like, so what really what makes David Montgomery great is he is extraordinarily difficult to bring to the ground. And he's right. got a stiff arm that can kill a bear. I mean, when if you especially watch like highlights, I mean, you can watch about any highlight of him. He's extremely difficult to bring down. West Virginia had a hell of a time trying to tackle him mm-hmm. this year. Uh, look at look at the highlights against Iowa last year. He tore them a new one. Um, and he's he's a very good blocking back. He can catch balls out of backfield. He's very versatile. But really, it's if you don't get if if you don't get a good shot on Dave Montgomery, you're not bringing him down. Like yeah. arm tackles are futile. And if you're if you're tackling him below the waist, you're probably not in good shape. Yeah. Because um, he's just his 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 center of mass is so low. He's he's so thick and his legs are so big. Um, he's he's very hard to bring down. And mm-hmm. he's his it's interesting too because I've I've seen very few running backs that have just the will to stay on their feet like Dave Montgomery does. Like that like he never stops running ever. He yeah. just doesn't. And he never fumbles either. <laughs> It's amazing. So, uh, did you hear about this last year? Because Iowa State, going into the bowl game, had not lost a fumble all year. Yeah, it was the NCAA, it was an NCAA record. It still is an NCAA record that they lost. So, Dave, what happened? Was Dave Montgomery took a goal line, a goal line run, dove in, and on the way in, the ball like hit the lineman's ankle or something like that, and it popped out. Um, they ruled it a fumble, and that and that Memphis had recovered it. If you look at the replay, it was hot garbage. It was like he was like a foot in. I know. We, oh no, we know all was, about we know all about bad was, replays and whether the ball garbage. went forward or backward here. Yeah. No, don't worry about that. So his his only career lost fumble was actually should have never been a fumble. So. Well, that's not encouraging. Uh, <laughs> let's hear about uh, your predictions for this one, Levi. I think uh, we talked about earlier Wazoo about a field goal favorite. Uh, in this game in San Antonio uh, between two top 25 teams. Uh, How do you think this turns out on Friday, the Friday after Christmas? Hopefully nobody too hungover from 
uh, they're drinking festivities at 8 o'clock Central Time in Texas. But uh, what do you think the scoreboard you looks like when this is over? You don't get hung over if you keep drinking. Yeah, no, see, there you so. go. So, no, that's a good point, exactly. <laughs> um, going into this, I, Iowa State is, for playing a team that is ranked, you know, 10 spots higher than them or 12 spots higher than them, it's about as they match up with Wazoo is about as good as I could have hoped for. Where I would say it's you know they have they have Dave Montgomery that can he can make his own yardage out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the as far as just a as far as just a concept on offense, they're best at passing the ball. They're best at passing the ball downfield, right? Um, and really taking out big chunks of yardage. And that that seems to be the weakness of the Washington State defense. If there is a weakness, it's a very good defense. Um, that, that seems to be the weakness. So, the, so I would say strength on offense, the biggest strength, plays right into the biggest weakness on the Washington State defense. And then on the flip side of the ball, you have Washington State that runs an air raid, which is unusual to see in the Pac-12, which Pac-12 has had passing good passing offenses for a long time, but not necessarily air raid style offense, more West Coast type stuff. Um, where now you have an air raid offense that is unusual in the Pac-12, so they don't see a lot of defenses that are built to stop it. But you know that that offense has been in the Big 12 for a decade now. Mm-hmm. West Virginia runs it. They run a, West Virginia runs a version of it. Texas Tech runs a version of it. Oklahoma State runs a version of it. Oklahoma runs a version of it. You know, you, I mean, pretty much everybody except Kansas State, and Texas, and Iowa State run some version of the air raid. Right. Um, and they have for a long time. And that's what I would say. I would say its defense is built to stop a Big 12 offense, and that's exactly what Washington State is. Now, Mike Leach is the most pass happy of any of those air raid teams, where he will just keep passing and passing and passing and passing it. Um, you know, unless you know, obviously, unless Gardner checks out of it. So, looking, you know, the best way to look to see kind of what this matchup could look like is to look at how Iowa State has faced against those air raid teams, against West Virginia, against Texas Tech. They held them to. Uh, combine, I want to say, I want to say, like, combine like sixty something points below their average. Mm-hmm. Um, they, and when Iowa State has faced air raid teams this season, they've, I mean, to, to put it to put it brashly, they've eaten them alive. Uh, Will Greer, you know, the guy that finished just ahead of uh, Gardner Minshew in the Heisman candidate, I mean, he had a very, he had a bad time. Mm-hmm. He did not have a fun game in Ames. Um, and part of that was because I think Will Greer. It's, it's a little bit of, a, of an inverse to Gardner Minshew in that Will Greer is always looking for the deep ball, and he's he's willing to turn down intermediate routes to get to the deep ball, and Iowa State knew that. Um, it took, they took advantage of that and bringing delay blitzes and things like that. Now, that won't work against Gardner because he's happy to take those 5, 10 yards completions, so they'll have to make yeah. an adjustment. But that is something that Texas Tech does where they'll throw a lot of intermediate routes. They don't, they don't throw it way down the field very often. They'll do it a little bit more than maybe Washington State does, but they're still – they're, they're the closest to a Mike Leach offense. And uh, they played where they held them to 14 points. And one of them was that, well, it actually was, uh, yeah, it was, it was 10 points or something like that on offense um, because I think Texas Tech scored 17. I, can't, I don't remember the final score of the game, but there was they had a special teams touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, but they held them to 10 points or 14 points. And uh, they played really well against uh, air raid teams. It matches up really well. The team's built to stop that kind of offense. Washington State will probably still get theirs. They'll probably still get yardage, things like that. Um, I don't. I mean, I'm not expecting them to. I'm not expecting Iowa State to hold them to 10, 14 points. Um, but I do think they match up pretty favorably defensively. So we'll just see because there's a lot. You know, the, the 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 strength of Washington State is the scheme. They have obviously a great quarterback, good athletes all around the thing. But the the really the strength of it is the scheme. Yeah. Um, and if and it's you have to you have to be able to out scheme Washington State to beat them. Um, Iowa State has a base scheme that can do that. Uh, it's just a matter of making adjustments because it's big. Because it's 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 built to stop 
deep passes and stuff at the line of scrimmage. It's now they're going to have to make an adjustment to stop those intermediate routes. Mm-hmm. Levi Stevenson from Wide Right and Natty Light, the Iowa oh, State blog. On do you want my score prediction? Yeah, I mean, why not? Just throw it in there real quick. Throw it in there. All right, all right. I'm going to say... And then we have to say it's a little bit more of a defensive game, actually. I think something along the lines of like 27-20 Iowa State. All right. That's like roughly what I did, but the the inverse on yours, so that all works for me. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, sir, for stopping by and joining us. I appreciate it. And our thanks to Levi for joining us here on the podcast, passing along his knowledge of uh, Iowa State. This is the time of year when we see a lot of coaching changes. We are out of silly season and still into you know recruiting season and transfer season, and it all kind of comes together. And I, I, I guess I'm <laughs> just it weirds me out a bit. And I, I mean, this is just in general, and it's just kind of something I want to get down on an MP3 and express. And it's not of anything in particular, and I'm trying my best not to build a straw man here because, you know, I can't really, like, point to a situation and say this was happening in it a lot and, you know, X and Y and Z person should really think twice about what they said, yada, yada, yada. But it it, it always strikes me that it, it feels like this time of year when coaches leave to take new jobs and... You know, like take their assistance with them, like for Utah State, practically abandoning that team. Uh, did the coach whose name I'm forgetting, but got hired at Texas Tech with Dave Yost, the former wide receivers coach at Wazoo. Uh, Utah State did win their bowl game, but their coaches bolted, and they get Gary Anderson now again. So it's Gary Anderson Redux. Uh, it 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 just it strikes me that so many times a coach leaves. You know, a school, especially when you're talking about G5 schools or FCS schools that are kind of, they really are. They're a stepping stone for these coaches to get to the big college jobs. It always surprises me when that is just part of the business. That's just that's just business, right? But players transferring, no, 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 that's not business. You need to be loyal. You need to show loyalty to your teammates and your fans, or more importantly, players skipping bowl games. That is a new phenomenon, relatively speaking. Only a few years old. And I would like to think that generally, if anybody at Washington State, any player chose to do that, I would be generally supportive of it. Whether, you know, I again, I'm saying that as a person who doesn't really have to think about it because nobody on my team... Uh, is, you know, projected to go early enough in the draft where skipping the bowl game makes a good deal of sense. But it it strikes me when a coach is leaving 
it's business. When a player is transferring or choosing to sit out a bowl game, he's abandoning his teammates. He's spitting on the fans. He's doing whatever else. When, for these players, it's a business. Do you think most West Virginia fans, 10 years from now, are going to remember a good deal about the Camping World Bowl? Let me put it out there for you. They will not. And even if they do, they're not going to remember that the reason why they lost the game was because Will Greer didn't play. Stanford fans aren't going to remember that... I don't even remember what bowl they're in. <laughs> How bad is that? I don't even, who cares? It's Stanford. Uh, Bryce Love. They're not going to remember Bryce Love didn't play in that game. You're not going to remember that these players didn't do that. Because for them, it is also a business. Will Greer knows if he gets hurt in that game, he can't participate in Senior Bowl... He can't do anything in regards to workouts before the draft. He can't do anything, you know, if it's serious enough, he can't do anything over the summer leading up to the NFL season. And that can cost him draft, you know, uh, his draft status. It could cost him money. And I'm sorry, but Will Greer's been making a lot of money for West Virginia, for West Virginia University. And although he's been compensated with a scholarship, the amount of money Will Greer has helped the Mountaineers to make almost certainly is greater than the amount of money they have spent educating, housing, and feeding him. We've long since established that that trade-off is not inherently fair to the student-athlete. That has long been established, but I guess... What is now, and it will probably change as we roll through the years, is because that dynamic has changed, now what you're seeing is players start to take more control. And we've talked about that on this show before, that I am for players having more control. And this is one of those ways that they can do it without, you know, without, without punishment, so to speak. Then Keel Harry skipped the Vegas Bowl. And, you know, I'm sure some ASU fans were pissed at him and they did lose the game, although probably not because he didn't play. But you saw his teammates were generally very supportive of him. Because if you don't think that any of them were in the exact same situation as him, possible first round draft pick in the NFL, they would do the same friggin' thing. They all would do it. If I were in that position, I would do it. And if I saw one of my teammates, and again, I'm speaking hypothetically here because my, you know, the team sports I played was rec soccer and baseball. But I would like to think, again, that if one of my teammates did that, I would be fine with it. Because you recognize this guy is trying to protect himself and his future earnings. And you also realize that football has one of the shortest spans of life for a career. It, it's like, I think it's like something like, two to three years on average for the average NFL player that takes into account a lot of players who flame out really quickly compared to the others that don't and stick around for a while. But they all know this. Will Greer knows this. Bryce Love knows this. And Keel Harry knows this. They all know it. 
that the time they have to make money is limited. Why would you play in an exhibition game? Because that is that is what a bowl game is. It counts towards your win-loss total, but it has nothing to do with conference standings. It has nothing to do with, you know, how, how you fare overall in the season and what bowl game you end up in. This is an exhibition game. It doesn't really matter whether you win or lose it. Truly. Even though I will get mad if the Cougs don't win the Alamo Bowl. I admit that. But it doesn't matter. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. And frankly, I've, I've had a saying I lo- I've loved for a long time. Always look out for number one. Always, 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 no matter what, look out for yourself and your family first. Always do that. Because that is who, that there that is where your duty is. Your duty is to yourself and your wife or your husband and your children. And perhaps your nuclear family as well. That is who you are duty bound to serve. To me. This is one brief moment of me moralizing a bit from my soapbox. It's why I, you know, my generation is much more jump from job to job. Because if you can't do something for me and I can find someone who's more willing to do it, I'm going to do it. Because you're going to fire me. You would fire me in an instant, generally. So why am I going to wait around for you to say you can make my situation better when this person will do it? Why would Will Greer play a free game if he gets hurt? He loses money. I'm sorry. I have no problem with him skipping that football game. He's looking out for himself, as he should. He's looked out for everybody else around him for however many years. Same thing with Bryce Love and everybody else skipping games. They've looked out for everybody else by playing those games. Ed Oliver, too. God, how can I forget that one? Ed Oliver. Looked out for everybody else. Finally looking out for himself. And there is not one thing wrong with that. Dunderhead of the Week. Ask Michael anything. Great batch of questions. For this week's show, we'll get to him in a minute on the Cook Center after. Dunderhead of the Week time, and this is a bit of a melancholy Dunderhead of the Week. Uh, it's about an Oregon Zoo otter who passed away, and we all love otters, because they're so cute. They really are just the cutest little creatures, especially the babies, they're so cute. But this came across my Twitter feed, and it is still the headline on the Oregonian site. Oregon Zoo Otter. 
known for slam dunking and self-pleasuring, dies at age 20. <laughs> it's just, what a headline. Known for slam dunking and self-pleasuring at the same time. The video someone got of him at the zoo is the, uh, if you were younger and you heard of what Marilyn Manson tried to do and had rib, ribs removed to do, that thing, it's that. <laughs> uh, an Oregon Zoo spokesperson confirmed to the Oregonian, this is a quote, <laughs> yes, that was Eddie who displayed so much confidence in front of zoo guests. <laughs> I also found what I want on my tombstone. Known for slam dunking and self-pleasure. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just so absurdly funny. It's just, it's the, I don't know if it was an editor who wrote that headline or if it was Lizzie Acker uh, at the Oregonian, but my, my hat is off to whether it was her, whether it was an editor, whoever, it, whomever it was. Just... Bravo. Bravo. Ask Michael anything time. Call this show the Eddie Hour from now on. Just so superb. At Totes McStoes, Eric Stotes, what's the over-under of the number of references to the Alamo that Mike Leach makes in his press conferences? Oh, God. I'd set it at a dozen, honestly, and I'd probably still take the over. Really. At M. Scott, 56-58, if Washington State wins, do you see them rising in the final poll? Seems unlikely when facing a lower-ranked opponent. Talked about that a little bit earlier. I think it just kind of happens. If you do win the game, it just kind of happens naturally because there's got to be some teams ahead of you that lose just because they're the top 12 is playing each other. So, in theory, it happens. At the last Zoom, NC17 lentils, Mexican barbecue, or a hybrid of both in San Antonio? Woo. I probably eat both for every meal. Yeah, that would, uh. But I'm. You know, me. I'm a dumpster. Just everything goes into my, you know, Mexican food, barbecue food, Indian food. I haven't had Indian food in a while. It's so delicious. At Kellen tweets, Kellen, if you could have three more 10 win seasons, but with losses to UW, or three five win seasons with two Apple Cup wins, because you know it can never be three in a row, what would it be? Give me the 10 win seasons. I, I, whatever, man. It's, I, I know I say whatever now, and I didn't think that at the time, but I'm saying whatever now to the Apple Cup. Uh, at Chris McIntroff, uh, is there room for both Cam and Cooper and Gunnar Cruz on this roster? Seems like there's trouble two years down the road. Uh, I mean, maybe. I mean, in theory, there should be. Um, but as it typically happens, you know, quarterbacks, you know, there's only one quarterback who can play at a time. So, um, maybe. Probably not, though. I mean, that's just that's how it goes. That's, you know... UW had like two four-star quarterbacks committed to them and 
they both enrolled in like one transfer. It's like, yeah, you know, have to see that happen. At Danny P793, Daniel Patrick, fire, Mary, extend, Larry Scott, Ernie Kent, or Gardner Minshew. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> extend Gardner Minshew. Uh, oh, God. I'm going to put the good of the many ahead of the good of the few here and say marry Ernie Kent and fire Larry Scott. I that I hope everybody else in the conference appreciates that. Uh, at Tyler Roth 849, what is the best pregame spot in San Antonio? I've never been, so uh, go with some place that serves beer. I'll go with that. At Mr. Tommy G-Man, Tom Gilanella, is there a basement in the Alamo? Yeah, and it's where they keep the pinball machine in the kegerator. Uh, at WSU wide receiver, what would you grade our Nike contract to 2022 C or D minus? It's not very good. I will give Bill Moose the benefit of the doubt on that. He didn't sign it at a very good time. Uh, at CCOOG 8606, Mike Leach looks better with a mustache. He does. Why are you the way you are? Because that's the way God made me, baby. All gorgeousness. At Wazoo Crew 11, Fire Harry Scott. If you have mutant powers that turn you into a cyclone, how would you use it? Would you use it for good or evil and how? Oh, man. How can you use being a cyclone for good? Like, is there a way to do that? Like, maybe to, like, blow stuff away that's, like, flying towards a house or... You know, I don't know. I, 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 I would want to be good. I don't want to be bad. I don't want to be bad, Cyclone. That's not how you use it for good. At Brett Gleason, be honest. Have you ever forgotten to remember the Alamo? Yes. So frequently. Finally, from our own Kyle Sherwood at Bigwood WSU. Would you rather have one nipple or three nipples? It's three nipples. That's the only right answer to this question. I will not hear differently. Nipples provide context. Context. And one nipple would just, that would be too weird. Like a third one, okay, fine. It's a good bar story. One, no, no, no. Nobody wants to talk to one, a person with one nipple. Nobody wants to do that. Washington State 28, Iowa State 17. I don't know why I'm doing it. Even in a prove it bowl game. Screw it. They're going to win. We'll talk to you after the season is over again on the Coop Center Hour.